Well, good morning. You have heard a lot of uh, news this morning of, of where things are happening in the church and, and what God has in store for us. Well, we want to turn this morning to the pages of Scripture to find out what is the news that God wants us to hear and what God wants us to know. And we're specifically getting into the chapter of Mark 13. And I'm going to read, actually, a number of the verses from that. We're not going to get all of it, but we're going to get a lot of it because, again, it's essential we understand what, what Jesus is saying. So we're picking it up, and we're going to start reading uh, basically at verse 4. And the scene before this is a disciple said, what an amazing temple. And Jesus responds to it, and he says, well, not one stone upon another. There's not one that won't be thrown down. And the disciples tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray, because many will come in my name, saying, I'm he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For... Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it will not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God has created until now. And there never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days No human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look here, here's the Christ, or or look there, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead many astray, if possible. If possible, it will be the elect, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, whether it will be in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's just pray as we unpack some of this scripture this morning. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
we thank you that, that you have not hidden from us that there's going to come, come a time of suffering. There's going to be a, coming a time of rejection of you and for those who follow your name. But you've told us, Lord, that you hold everything in your power and your hands. So, Lord, I pray as we listen in, we, again, won't fill our minds with, with facts, but we'll fill our minds with you and the anticipation of, of what is to come. And the greatest of all greatness is that you are coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Lord, help us this morning. Just help us uh, what you would say to us, and we pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, as I read the scripture, and of all the, all the stories of our childhood, fewer are more familiar to us than the story of Chicken Little. Uh, it's the story of an unexpected bump on the head, and then a frantic declaration, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And when people first hear it, they, they, they rush off in panic, they, they go into action. And over the years, we haven't really left the story of Chicken Little behind because we have our various current stories of Chicken Little. We're currently in one. We're currently in COVID where, where the devastation, is this going to be the end or we can move past that? And we think of when the millennium changed calendar and all of a sudden, of course, the world's going to fall apart. Before that, we could go to the Arab-Israeli war where, where the superpowers of the world threatened, could this be another world war that will open, really overcome and take over the world? And for some, it is true, for some, it, the world really was the sky is falling. Those who, who suffered death and family members who died during COVID or through the, some of the other things is, that came upon but then the winds changed and the weather got good again and, and that, that uh, season of calamity, it, it just passed and a new day began. But with that change, other things changed as well. Because like the fable, we got in a position that fewer and fewer were paying any attention to the warnings that might come. And no more... Is that true than what we just read in the scripture this morning? What we're told in Mark 13, and it echoes what, what Peter warned us of when he said, in the last days, scoffers will come. They will be scoffing and following their own evil desire, saying, where is the promise of his coming? They will ask, ever since our fathers fell asleep, ever since they died, everything continues as it has been from the creation. I mean, everything's been the same. But they deliberately overlooked the world that perished in the flood. And by the same word that set the flood into being, the same word, the present heavens and the earth, they are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That what Jesus has talked about is going to happen. It's not a it's not a chicken little warning that we can just push aside and think, well, it, it, it's, we've heard these things before. What difference does it make? And we're told that this is going to be a time of evil that will come upon the earth that will be anything unlike what was experienced under Hitler or Stalin or Assad. It will be the compilation of 
disaster and tribulation unlike anything that we have ever experienced. Even piled together, we're told, such tribulation has not been seen since the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and it never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. These are sobering verses. These are verses that we could pass over, but we do it to our peril. Because we're told it it is going to usher in a time when Satan and his emissaries, the the Antichrist and the false prophet, will do their worst, and, and evil will be completely, completely released and unrestrained. We're talking about a time that is called the tribulation, a time that will begin in Israel, but then its reach will go to the entire world. And it will go on until the ending will finally be ushered in when it says that Jesus will return and he will once and for all destroy all those who have risen up in rebellion against God. But the tragedy is many of us have put this in the chicken little category. Well, the sky is falling. Yeah, right. And so we just continue on, just just dismissing, just ignoring And in part, there's reason for that, because there are those that want to say, well, Jesus is coming on this day or that day. And sure enough, some of them have gone off and sold possessions and waited on a hillside. And of course, Jesus hasn't come. And so, again, the voice of scoffing just increases, and we've turned on these or put on these hearing protectors that deafen us to what Jesus is wanting us to know, that there is a day of judgment ahead. So, so what do we know? And, and what are we to learn? Well, verse 8 tells us, first and foremost, there will be signs. There will be signs that the end is coming. And we're told that these will be these will be the beginning of birth pangs. We're told that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of birth pangs. But we rightly ask the question, hasn't this been happening since the beginning of time? I mean, it's been happening for a long time. So how do we make sense of that? Let me show you a couple of things of what those are predicting. About 20,000 earthquakes around the globe are felt each year, approximately 55 per day, that the increase of earthquakes is indeed happening. Breaking Israel News says, in the first 65 days of 2021, 42 major quakes of a magnitude 6 or higher have shaken the planet. So there's been other earthquakes, but the magnitude of earthquakes is picking up. We're told by the Nobel Nobel UN agency warns that in 2021 they will have famines of biblical proportions. We're told from National Public Radio that titanic swarms of desert locusts descending ravenously on the Horn of Africa. If the 2020 version of these marauders stays steady on its warpath, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization says they will pose a threat to the livelihoods of 10% of the world's population. 
Now, Mark only draws us our attention to these particular signs of nations against nations and earthquakes and famines, but we, we know elsewhere in Scripture we're also given other indications of sign. One of the most remarkable is, is Israel itself. Almost 25 years, 2,500 years ago, Israel was abolished as a nation. Like the Philistines and like the Amorites and the Ammonites, they, a nation was gone, and never in the history of the world has a nation that has been abolished all of a sudden 2,500 years come back as a nation drawing people from out the world and reestablishing a nation. Uh, Jesus points out there are, there are undeniable things that, that God is saying that clock is moving quickly. But these upheavals are, are just some of the things he's talking about. The most alarming to us is what is told us in chapter 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. So some of these events are going to be those that lead up to the, when Jesus comes. Some of them are going to take place when he comes. And what we'll talk about this in a second. But specifically in history, the abomination of desolation, we looked at this before, but it's referring to a person by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who came upon Israel, was angry that he had been told to stop doing what he was going to do by Rome, and he rushed into Israel, he slaughtered the people, then he went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he took an image of Zeus and erected it in the temple, and then he took a pig and he slaughtered the blood of the pig on the altar, desecrating the temple. It was regarded and said, that is the abomination of desolation. But it is only foreshadowing a worse abomination, a desolation, that we're told is still to come. We're told in Second Thessalonians that the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He will take his seat in the temple of God, and he will display himself as God. Scripture is referring that there is going to come the time of the Antichrist that will rise up, and it will be a time of persecution, and those who refuse to worship him as God will be annihilated. And the persecution that will happen will be immense. It's a time that we refer to as the tribulation, as I said, or the day of trouble that, that often is referred to. And though I'm not going to get into it because we don't have the time to do it, I believe that the Scripture tells us that those who believe in Christ will, will be raptured. That there will be the harpazo, the snatching out of those that believe in in Christ. But there are countless books written all that, and it's not my intention right now to get immersed in these, because the far more important question is this. Before worrying about the times and the signs and the warnings, our question really is, what have we done with Jesus? What do we do with him? The one that says, he is the one that says, I am your Savior and Lord. I am the Redeemer. And so far more importantly is the when of the events is the question of what have we done with him. 
Because we can't give an unmistakable picture of the time of when this will be. We can't give uh, an absolute guaranteed, can't be wrong, understanding of the timeline. What we are told is this, that Jesus will come suddenly. He will come unexpectedly. He will come, as we're told in 1 Corinthians, that he is going to come in a flash. He's going to come in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. It'll come at a time we're not looking for it. The world doesn't care about it. Their world is going to go in chicken little. Not going to happen. And scriptures say, yeah, it is going to happen, and you're not going to give advance warning. When I come, I will come. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This morning, as you listen, you and I need to understand that the Lord says he is coming. The timing will be unexpected. It will be certain. It will be sure. And so that means it's imperative where you know that where you stand with Jesus Christ. Because he's going to come, and it says there'll be one will be taken, one will be left. And so the coming is absolutely clear. But what can we know about the events? Well, first we're told, as we've read, that it'll be a time of intense persecution, but there will be many false Christs. Verse 22, we're told the who will deceive and lead many astray. Now notice, if you look at verse 22, it says that they will do, these Christs will do signs and wonders. We need to stop here for a sec. We hear sometimes in, in Christianity that, wow, God's doing signs and wonders. But signs and wonders are no guarantee at all that they are from God. God does do signs and wonders. But the demonstration of signs and wonders, we're told here, the false Christ will do those. So if you're relying on that, that's a false, a false place in which to stand. Because the only guarantee that Christ is Christ, that is who you follow, will be a message that says, we are sinners, all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And the only guarantee that we know, the message that we hear in the gospel is this. You and I are sinners. But we've been saved by grace because of the blood of Christ. Any message that preaches Christ that does not have the gospel of a redeeming, blood-shedding Christ is a false gospel. Any, any gospel that says you're stronger and better and enriched is a false gospel. It's called, he calls redemption, and what we're told in an old hymn, would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. There's so much, if I go into a bookstore today and I look, a Christian bookstore, and I look for messages about the blood of Christ or the blood, you will not find it because it's not popular. But we are redeemed. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power only in the blood of Christ. So the first thing you need to know is that 
that there will be a time of many false Christs that will come. The second we need to know is that it is true that there will come times of intense persecution that are ahead. It's true that now, even in the various parts of the world, there are many that pay a great price for following Jesus. There are many who are persecuted and killed for knowing Christ. If you want to see a video, if you have, have the ability to sit and watch, watch a video called Sheep Among Wolves, which is about what God is doing, Christ is doing, and those that live in countries that are deeply opposed to the gospel of Christ and what they have to suffer. We in North America know very little about this. We see persecution as a health order that puts limits on whether we can gather and how many can gather. We, we see persecution as a fine given for refusing to comply. And though it's possible that some of those may lead to a place of concern, understand, these do not come close to what Jesus is speaking about here. Verse 20 again tells us, If the Lord had not cut short the day, there would no human being would be saved. So in light of this, how do we respond? What should our response be? Well, it could be, I won't be here, so it's not my concern. I believe in the rapture. I'm not going to be around. It's not my big deal. That's possible. You could take that view, or we could take, I will be here, so I better find a mountain retreat and stock up in supplies, because I'm not sure what's going to happen. Or we, we could, well, I'm not certain whether I'm going to be here or whether I'm going to be there, so I'll just close my eyes and hope for the best. And sometimes that's what we've done in our chicken little view of what God says is forthcoming. Instead, Jesus says, be on guard. Be on guard. For what? Well, in part, for what we're told in verse 5. And that is of being led astray. See, being led astray, often it comes about because we are complacent about our faith. We fail to understand that as Christians, we've been called and been entered into a battle And in order for us to fight that battle, we need to know and obey God and what his word says. And this battle is not mythical. It's not a Star Wars adventure that we can watch and then turn, click off the TV and get it back on with life. That means that we have to stop treating our relationship with Jesus as as some, I'm going to heaven and everything's fine. Because what Jesus would teach in these words is our relationship with Jesus is life itself. It is everything. It's about now and eternity. It's about knowing what God's word says and obeying God's word. That Jesus must, must, must be our everything. And the problem is, we get so preoccupied with other things, we think that, well, they're important that we fail to understand how how led astray we actually are. Time and again, I I read of a a Christian athlete or a Christian performer or whatever that is is on fire for the Lord, and then you'll read a little bit further on, and it'll talk about how he's so excited about how his fiancée is going to give birth to, to their coming child. And the issue isn't about premarital sex or or pregnancy. 
The issue is whether we take God's word as it is and live as his children, or we play cut and paste with scripture. We cut the parts that we're not sure if we like, and we discard those, but we take the ones that we do like, that God is going to give us abundant life, and all. we keep those, and we, we create our own little faith. faith. And, and the challenge is, we as Christians are living with casual faith in lukewarm hearts. The issue isn't about sex, though that's often an area in which we fall. The question is, the question is, whether God has our heart, whether Jesus has the control of my life in everything. And it's for deception like this that, that Jesus is saying, be on guard. Be on guard. What do you live for? Who do you live for? What is your life about? Is he Lord before whom we will completely bow and allow his lordship to reign over us, to be completely his. Being on guard echoes what we're told in Ephesians 6, that he, we are to be soldiers that are fully equipped. That means that we need to understand the times in which we live and the lies that surround and want to seep into our life. That means that we're not to be Christians that wear our Christian uniform for a nice parade but we actually are to live uniforms that are prepared for battles. That we're not to be those that follow Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or Francis Chan. We are to be people that don't live with borrowed faith. We are to live as people who ourselves are dug into what the Word of God tells us, that we live with His Spirit and His Word alive on us, tested in us, dependent on us. Because our own relationship with Jesus does not belong to a spouse or to our parents because they're so strong in the faith. It's not borrowed faith because borrowed uniforms will fall off when the pressure comes. It needs to be a faith that we say, you are the Lord I follow. You are the Christ I believe. That we're secured in God's word There's one more warning that Jesus gives, and he gives several in the passage, but the other one I want to look at is, he says, keep, be on guard, also keep awake. Awake for what? Well, I believe it's awake for what he tells us in verse 5, and that is, or verse 34, sorry, that, that he, the master has gone away, but he's coming back. And while he's away, he's charged us with a mission to do. And that is, let people know about the saving, redeeming blood of Jesus. That he needs to be our center and he needs to be our message with the reminder that he's coming back. So what does that decision mean and require of us us today? Well, fundamentally, it's this, is who is Jesus? Not in theology, but who is Jesus in your life, in mine? 
it's my prayer this morning as we open this word, as we look at this word, that, that he's calling you to come to him in a completely different way. That you and I stop playing church. That as you're listening, you're not sitting in there watching church. He's calling you and I to say, who, who am I in your life? Who am I, who Jesus is in your life? You've not been invited to church. You've not been invited to listen and then get on with the rest of your day. Instead, the Lord is calling us in Mark 13 to get on your knees and to come fully to him. To give up the games and give up the half measures. To give up the casual faith that is letting you just run dry. And in that place, to discover Jesus in all his fullness. That your life and my life is called to be passionately his. So that you and I can greet the coming king and say, you've been worthy of all our praise. You've been worthy of all the life I've given you. Because one day, the warning chicken little gives, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, will not be something that is mythical. It will be something that says, where do you stand regarding Jesus Messiah, the coming King, who says he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. So, Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, again, we we come to you asking that you would be the one who will change us. You will make us new that you will be the one that we can say, my heart is completely yours. I follow you wherever you call me. We pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.